Hello and welcome to episode 8 of This Too Shall Pass. Um, thanks again for joining me for another episode. Um, this week I am talking to the fantastic, colourful, wonderful, amazing, um, insert positive adjective here, uh, Taryn Devere. Taryn is an activist, an artist. Uh, she is the editor of, uh, sorry, the co-creator of a publication. Um, she's a mother. She is um, the bringer of joy and uh, lives in Donegal. Originally from Australia. Um, I'm not too sure how long she's lived here for, but it doesn't really matter. The impact that she's had on activism in Ireland cannot be uh, overstated. And I'm really looking forward to getting speaking to her today. Um, so yes, I know my posting hasn't been as regular as it probably should be to build up a decent listening base. But that's the beauty of doing what I want when I want. It's not about that for me. It really isn't. This is about exploring what I want to explore. And if you enjoy that, then that's really good as well. I really am appreciative that you're listening to it. So I'm going to play my cheesy intro and we're going to get into it. You're listening to This Too Shall Pass podcast, a show about mental health. This is Stephen Donandalzel, your host. So I'm joined by the enigmatic and fantastic and colourful Taryn Devere, who has been described by many people as possibly the most colourful woman in Ireland. Um, Taryn is an activist, an artist, um, a free thinker, uh, a real inspiration to a lot of people, including myself. And it's a pleasure to have her on the show. Taryn, thanks so much for joining me today. It's great to have you. Thanks so much for having me. Not a problem, not at all. Um, so Taryn, for the people out there that might not know how excellent you are, tell them a bit about yourself, if you don't mind, in your own words. <laughs> I don't know that I'm 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 that excellent, um, but anyway, <laughs> I, uh, I am a mother to five children, uh, four of whom live with me. I live in rural rural Donegal. Um, I am originally Australian. I have a online shop that sells kind of colorful accessories and jewelry and things that I make. And I also have an online publication that I'm a co-founder of, which has a kind of very specific remit around promoting diversity and platforming diverse voices in Ireland. Um, and I'm also, I also work a couple of hours a week for a, um, a private healthcare company based in the UK called Gender GP that provide um, health care to trans people. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't, I did not know you worked for Gender GP as well. Um, so you're fantastic. I'm <laughs> very busy. Let's, let's put it that way. I'm, I'm a very yeah. busy person. <laughs> well, it's, great, like, um, it's the gig economy thing, isn't it? You just got to do whatever yeah. you got to do to keep, to stay afloat. And I'm supporting so many people, you know, I just have so many kids. So that's, that's not cheap. So I, I just, it's not. yeah, yeah. No, you're and, and I'm also brand. an activist, but obviously, um, you know, activism's kind of, it's, it's funny because for most people, I think their activism is very much kind of like going to meetings and going to rallies and going to protests and stuff like that. But for me, 
uh, as a person who has often been a lone parent at home with limited means, with lots of children and, and not a lot of practical support, I kind of had to find different ways to engage with activism. So this last year hasn't really been that different for me to previous years, um, with the exception that I've maybe missed, you know, the, I haven't gone to protests because of, there hasn't just hasn't been that many and because it hasn't been safe. Yeah. So this year, obviously, with um, coronavirus, there hasn't been mm -hmm. as many kind of real life protests. So um, that would have been one thing that I would have tried to get to some of the real life protests. But generally speaking, my activism would be mostly online and sort of creating visual kind of spectacular uh, outfits or headpieces or something with a strong message and then kind of taking photos of them and putting them up online. And yeah. um, so, so for a lot of people, I think this year in activism has, a, has been difficult and maybe a challenge for them. But for me, it hasn't really been that different because I just had to find different ways into activism because I was just in circumstances where I just couldn't go to meetings and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. so I think in, in terms of that, you know, my activism hasn't really slowed down this year. It certainly hasn't, not from what I've seen online anyway. And you're, I must say, if, if people don't know Taryn that well or don't know her work, please check it out because the, the headpieces that Taryn creates for different protests and events and um, turning points in activism history are phenomenal. Um, I, mean, I remember the one that you made for the repeal um, campaign on the day of the result, yeah. um, which was stunning and I kind of want to talk to you a bit about what kind of motivates you to you couldn't quite have the joy bringer and I very much agree with that you're somebody who does bring a lot of joy to people what motivates you um even throughout everything that's happened at the moment to still you know continue that momentum yeah so um well I call myself the joy bringer because that's actually the name that uh my partner Andrew gave to me he said you're you're a joy bringer and okay and that's lovely yeah and I thought um it's a it's a really it is really lovely and it's a lovely thing that for somebody to kind of gift me the name of a joy bringer mm. and uh, I do kind of preface it though with the fact that uh with, you know with a little asterisk of like if you're open to the joy I bring <laughs> which obviously <laughs> like you know like not everybody is going to be open to the joy that I bring and in fact some people yeah. really really are irritated by <laughs> the joy I bring <laughs> and some people really don't like it and that's okay you know I think that's a big part of my learning through life has been realizing that you I you can't please anybody and it, the nicest person in the world has people who don't like them so um that's true yeah, yeah yeah and I think it's a really difficult thing to get over and especially maybe for women I'm not sure if this is a gender mm. thing or not but I think um realizing that you know even where you've tried your best to be the nicest person you can be and uh, th that there are some people who, for whatever reason, because everybody has their own stuff going on as well, so you just don't know why you just rub somebody up the wrong way, and that's okay. So yeah. I do say I'm a joy bringer if you're open to the joy I bring, and uh, then I can be a joy bringer for you. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a very very diplomatic way to put things. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like that. Um, and you, you mentioned there that you think it might be a bit more difficult, or you're not too sure if it might be more difficult for women um in in that context where they that you know you can't please everybody um is that something i know because i know you've done a lot of activism and you've worked quite heavily around women's rights and um 
you know, the repeal campaign, etc. in Ireland. Speaking to other female activists, is that something that you think is a pattern that they tend to rub people up the wrong way because because of their gender? Oh, I don't know if it's a, just an activist thing, you know. I just think it's kind mm. of a, I think women are kind of socialized, we're socialized as girls to kind of be people pleasers. And yeah. so it's like a big goal in, in your life is to kind of get that validation of like people like me. So I'm I'm leading mm. as a girl, you know, I'm doing the thing that I yeah. should do. And I think that um, you, you come at a certain point in your life and particularly for activists, you realize that uh, if you're striving to make big changes in the world or little changes in the world, you are going to come up against um, some people who are going to resist that and who are not going to like you for the work that you're doing. Um, so that that's in a very specific activist area, but more generally, I think, in a life mm. area, uh, just the realisation that, you know, there's been people that I have really kind of um, thought, wow, that woman's doing great work, I really like her, and I hope she likes me and that we can have some type of friendship. And then, mm -hmm. then that woman being like, you know, really hating me and me not really understanding why they hate me and having to kind of be okay with that, having to be like, okay, that person just, they're not into me, they don't like me, and I can't do anything yeah. about that, and I just have to let that go. And I think um, probably that's a universal enough thing. I'd say everybody's probably experienced something like that in their life, regardless of gender, uh, where they've kind of just somebody just doesn't like them and you have no idea why, <laughs> you know. And, yeah. you know, but I think getting okay with that is um, a big part of, of kind of finding happiness and, and finding kind of contentment in life is getting okay with the idea that some people just aren't going to like you no matter how nice you are. Yeah. That's something I actually struggle with quite a bit um, is when, you know, someone doesn't seem to click with me or they're not as into me as I am into them. I take that as like a personal attack, but I think that's, that's part of my kind of thing, I suppose. And it's, it's hard to get over. It can be difficult. I think with activism as well, because, you know, you, you respect so many different people and you, you strive to be a better activist. And the worst thing ever is whenever you're working with other activists and they don't seem to like you. And yeah. that can be quite yeah. jarring. Yeah, but it can. And I think you have to find your own ways in. I mean, I certainly experienced that as well. Um, and I think because because I, I am a very visual kind of person and I think in those visual ways and to my mind uh, what what I think I also think too in terms of like uh, what is going to get this campaign in the press and mm -hmm. in my mind that's strong visual images you need to give the photographer some strong visual image and the stronger the visual image you give them the more likely you're going to get like a front page and um, mm -hmm. so my mindset with every uh, headpiece or outfit I create for a protest is always about what is going to give the press photographers the very best visual experience so that we can try and get some press for this cause. Um, yeah. And I have to say, like, I am quite successful at that. I have been in a lot yeah. of papers and a lot of a few front pages and, you know, um, with various things from the water charges to to repeal and homelessness and various different things I've been involved yeah. in. Um, and it's like I think like a photographer or like a picture editor. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself. And it's not so it's not about me, though. Like I'd be I'm 100 percent great if it was somebody else who was 
being being yeah. amazing. I'd love to look at um, amazing, colourful people <laughs> dressed in mad things with crazy shit on their head. <laughs> Do you know? So this isn't it isn't an ego thing about me. I, I really I don't feel like this needs to be me that is the person that does it. I'm kind of like yeah. My mindset is more practical. It's like we need to get this onto the front cover. So, you know, I'll do my bit. Maybe someone else will do it and they'll do it better than me and brilliant. They'll get the cause on the front page, you know. But I think for some people, um, I can see why some people might look at that and think to themselves, oh, she's such an attention seeker and she's got a big ego and she always wants to get in the papers or something, Um, you know, and and certainly that's an idea that has been kind of, thrown at me in the past around um you know trying to uh, being an attention seeker anyway and um yeah. i think yeah i am trying to seek attention i'm trying to seek attention for this cause <laughs> because i'm an activist and my goal is to get this cause in front of as many eyes as possible and get as many people on board as we can and we need to be attention seekers in order to do that and uh you know yeah yeah so it's an interesting one you know but I think for people who are going to make those kind of judgments about me without knowing me or understanding my process, well, that says something about them and where they're at. And, um, you know, yeah. I have a sort of a life theory that you can't really reach people who are kind of too far away from you in thinking either a few steps down or a few steps above where you're at is kind of your sphere of yeah. influence. And if people are too far away from you, you're never going to really be able to um, get them on board with anything that you're about. Uh, So, you know, that's why I would never have engaged with any of the real intense anti-choices. They're just too far away from my position. Yeah. You know, and so you've got to find the people who are within that sort of sweet spot that are either that you're either a bit above you and you're you're kind of like wow tell me more you sound so interesting or the people who are where you were a couple of years ago you know that's a yeah that's a really good point actually because you know i, I think it was a bit of self-preservation in that as well well for me anyway um with you know engaging with say extreme anti-trans rhetoric or extreme homophobia or what have you there's no point in kind of engaging with that to try and change anybody's mind all you're going to do is you know for me anyway is impact my own mental health in a very negative way and there's no there's there's no there's no glory there's no merit there's no joy to be had say in 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 doing that but the people that are just without just as you say a couple of steps outside of your own sphere of influence you might be able to reach them and that's worth doing definitely that. definitely and also i think the other um thing about it is that often those real anti-people tend to be kind of they want to waste your time and they want to they want to take oh, yeah. your energy and they want the endless conversation you know and they're they're bad faith mm-hmm. actors so if i'm thinking to myself yes. am i going to engage with somebody online and i do choose to do that occasionally and i will kind of at what they've mm-hmm. said and try and figure out if they're a bad faith actor or if they're a good faith actor and sometimes it takes a few tweets to figure that out it takes a bit of the conversation yeah um but yeah i think those those kind of things are you're you're rarely going to change somebody's mind on on that front um i think unless you're better off with people that actually there is some connection with them already or people that you kind of know yeah, I agree. I agree one hundred percent. Particularly with people who are so far removed and, and so dialectically opposed to your way of thinking that 
they are bad faith actors and they are doing it to waste your time. Like I had that experience during the referendum on yeah. repeal. You know, when you're not knocking doors or you're doing a, 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 a table in, say, a town square or whatever, there's people that were coming up to waste your time because that meant that you weren't able then to reach people who you exactly. needed to reach. Um, and they're they're doing it on purpose. And on the the level of vitriol on social media at the moment towards um, trans people yeah. and the trans community is horrendous, especially on Twitter. And I know you've talked about it a bit before about, I mean, you wrote an article for Medium back at the start of the year saying that trans children are a gift and not a loss. You've done a lot of work and a lot of advocacy for trans people, especially young trans people in Ireland. Would you mind talking to me a little bit about that and how you motivate yourself to get through that? Yeah. um, So, yeah, I've written, I've been lucky enough, actually, I wrote a piece for the Irish Independent as well about um, being a parent of Mm -hmm. a trans child, but I have written a lot um, about about this particular topic and obviously all I can speak to is my experience as a parent of a trans child because I'm mm-hmm. not trans myself so my experience in this area is solely as um, somebody who's speaking on behalf of a child who cannot speak for herself really or who can't and she yeah. I've, you know I speak to her about this a lot and check in with her about kind of what she's okay with me doing and saying and she's very open and she's very like yeah you know no it's fine tell everybody everything you know this is you know i'm i'm awesome tell them you know know, but still i'm I'm, yeah yeah i'm like i'm quite mindful of her um her privacy as well though and when i do like i think i'm in a i only speak as openly as i do because i have five kids and um, nobody would really know which one was my trans child, if you know what I mean, unless you know my family. Yeah. Um, I think if I only had one ch- child who was a-, a trans child, I don't know that I would speak out. I, I-, I don't know why, but I just feel like yeah. there's a, there's it's a di- it's such a difficult thing to balance your child's um, mm-hmm. privacy with the kind of need for people in society be to be talking about the experience of having a trans child and of trans children because they're so silent and they're just they're not their voices aren't being heard especially younger trans children like I have it's more you know there's there are trans teens who we're hearing from which is brilliant but younger trans kids are just practically invisible in society and yet they exist and so um I'm always mindful of that and I, I i don't know if i'm getting it right or not or if i'm doing the right thing i hope i am um i i hope that it she will be okay with the things that i have said and done at the moment she 100 percent is but obviously you know will she feel yeah. differently in a few years time um i don't know but i'm careful about not saying her name or her exact age or anything of like course. that that could identify her um but yeah in terms of everything that's been going on. So I would be one of those people who my social media is populated by lots of uh, block lists. So I actually miss the worst of most things um, because my block lists keep me protected from most of the stuff. Um, But every time that I post something about like an article or something about uh, being a parent of a trans child, I will always end up getting that kind of um mm-hmm. you know you're a child abuser you should have your children taken away from you um 
you know, like you're, you're like, there's just people will kind of accuse you of all the most yeah. horrific things. Um, and, and I, I, each time that it happens, I kind of, I forget how much of a sort of sucker punch that, that is to have people saying that kind of stuff yeah. to you um, suddenly. And each time I do it, I'm like, oh, God, yeah, why did I forget that I needed to kind of energetically prepare myself yeah. for the inevitable attack that comes afterwards? Um, but, you know, it's it's small fry in terms of the, the types of attacks that trans people are getting every day on social media. And that's what I, I just keep reminding myself to put this in perspective um, and that yeah. I'm just a very small part in in kind of fighting the good fight and and trying to get information out there and trying to make people a bit more aware about um, trans people and trans children and what kind of supports that they need and also just about the fact that, you know, trans people are just like everybody else. They're just people and they have exactly the same needs as other people. Um, and so really try, I try and do a lot of work on really normalizing the fact that my daughter is just the same as all my other kids and not this like weird magical unicorn creature, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well said. Um, I, I would disagree with your, your uh, postulation that you play a small part. I think, I think you're underselling yourself there a little bit, but I, I do, I do understand what you, you mean in the terms that trans people are coming up against so much, you know, abuse on social media that, as a non-trans, like I, I consider myself non-binary, but I, yeah. I wouldn't consider myself trans. Um, but even after that, some of the stuff that's been leveled at me just for identifying yeah. as they, them, is it's petty. It doesn't really get to me that much, but I can't imagine what it's like for young trans people. How do you, how do you protect yourself from that? You, you say you have to like um, energize yourself almost to prepare for that. What do you, when, whenever you face that kind of onslaught, regardless of what yeah. it's in relation to, on social media, how do you protect yourself or how, how yeah, do you look so, after yourself? So my kind I of process that, is yeah. um, around kind of like staying in my power and um, and kind of mm. uh, trying to live from my power. And so um, I would kind of do just, you know, gr maybe do like grounded uh, meditations to kind of ground myself um i try and you know i maybe have some little things that i say to myself like i am grounded i am centered uh i am connected you know just little things that i will say to myself. i i would yeah. i try and remember um you know that we live in an expansive universe because i think one of the best kind of tools for dealing with uh anything awful in your life is to remember that we are expansive beings. So, because I find you mm -hmm. can get really into a very closed fear space whenever you're under attack or you've experienced something traumatic or whatever. So for those times in my life, when I've had those types of experiences, the way that I have um, managed to kind of come out of it uh, with some resilience is by really getting into an expansive energy and trying to concentrate on that mm -hmm. and try and concentrate on how, um, you know, how huge and amazing this world is and how many other people are out there who are aligned, whose values are aligned with mine and people who wish me well and people who are the helpers and people that want to come in and, and, you know, 
I can join them or they can join me, all of that kind of stuff. I just try and, and get myself into a more expansive space. Uh, and that's how I that's how I kind of handle those types of situations is I remind myself, okay, there's like 10 people on here being abusive or calling me a child abuser or whatever, but I know for a fact that there are hundreds of people who are really supportive of me and the way that I am parenting my child and who are, um, mm -hmm. you know, loving and kind and nice and supportive. And I'm going to, I'm going to focus on those expansive people rather than the, the ones that are kind of being hateful. I really like that. That's, that's something I think a lot of people, when I, when I say a lot of people, I mean me <laughs> probably do with listening to and taking on board going forward because it is, it's, it's really easy, I think, to fall into an echo chamber of, um, well, nonsense really and abuse and, you know, negativity on particularly social media, um, which isn't reflective of the real world. It really, you know, it really isn't just because people shout the loudest doesn't mean they're the exactly. most important voices. Yeah, And I, um, I wrote a whole piece about so, this, actually. I just remembered. Uh, I think it's called A Powerful Tool for Recovering from Abuse and it's on mm -hmm. Medium. Um, I think that's what okay. it's called. I think I wrote it a few years ago. So uh, I hope that's the right name. But anyway, I wrote about it because I wrote about my process for <laughs> how I recovered from um, experiencing domestic abuse. And, uh, and just, yeah. it's all about how to get into an expansive energy space, basically. So that might be helpful for somebody. Yeah. Yeah, I'll certainly share that because, um, you know, I think a lot of people tend to focus on, well, I've talked about this a wee bit before about the kind of like false um, industry of self-care and recovery. And it seems to be very commercialized now. Um, where as actually talking to people who have experienced abuse and recovered from it rather than influencers on Instagram, et cetera, is a lot more, it's a lot healthier to do that and talk and, and talk to those people. Um do you find, if you don't mind me asking, did you find um, after you'd experienced that, that talking to people helped or did it take you a while to try and open up to yourself about it? Because that was, that was my experience. Yeah. Um, if you, I, we, don't have to, we don't have to talk about that, but we, if, you, if you want to, yeah, you can. Yeah, I think it's, it's for, for me, the first um, part was, and, the, and this would be generally speaking for anything in my life that I've experienced that's been difficult or traumatic. The first part is, is being able to tell my story in a safe space. So being able to share my story in a mm -hmm. safe space where I feel heard and I feel listened is really important. The second bit is having um, it objectively framed from me. So, for example, with the domestic abuse situation, I went to like the women's aid and then they objectively framed this and they said, yes, that is domestic abuse. What happened to you was bad. This is not OK. And I needed to hear mm -hmm. those things. And then they educated me. And they taught me about domestic abuse and what it is and how to look for it and stuff like that. And they they gave me um, suggestions of books I can read, which I did. And I read everything I could about it. And I did loads of research. And then I understood what had happened to me. And understanding what had happened to me was a really um, big part of my healing process. So I think it was like needing to tell my story in a safe space, having it kind of objectively um, fed back to me that, and validated that this was bad this is not good and then being able to be empowered yeah. to go and do my own research and learning around the experience 
And then I find that everything drops off at that point and there's not a lot of support for you after that point. And that was when I realized I, it took me about a year of, of solid kind of work on myself to recover. And, and I don't even know if I'm a hundred percent fully recovered, but I certainly am in a much better place than I was, you know? And so uh, I discovered that the best thing that the thing that helped me the most was getting into an expansive energy because I had spent those years in a really feared, fearful space, in a really small space, making myself smaller and smaller and smaller. And so, yeah. um, and, and our society doesn't really encourage people to get expansive and to get big and to think big and to be big. It, it kind of, you know, tells you that you're being full of yourself or what are you, you think too much of yourself. Yeah. And um, so you have to kind of overcome that social conditioning. And I would say to myself in my, one of my mantras was I am getting bigger every year. I'm getting bigger every year. And I have to kind of be brave enough to get bigger. And uh, this year I might add in, uh, 2020, you know, I got bigger in all the ways. Like I have a much bigger bum than I had at the start of the year. <laughs> you know, when, when I was like having to go in and buy like size 14 Ooh. knickers, I was like, okay, this was quite a bigger than I had planned for myself. <laughs> but, you know, but I'll take it because, you know, it's just more of me. It's just more of me. Um, that is not where I thought that was going. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, in, it is that thing of Brilliant. like, um, you know, and I didn't, I didn't really like quite know exactly what that meant. I just knew that I needed to clear a space for myself and make it okay for myself yeah. to get a bit bigger and keep getting a bit bigger in whatever ways that that emerges from me. Like if you told me a year ago that I was going to be, you know, editing a, an online publication, um, I would tell you that you were absolutely mad. Like that, the, 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 it's hilarious to me. You know, <laughs> the things that I've ended up doing in my life are, are generally speaking quite hilarious to me. Um, but uh, that is a thing that I think is, is a, is a getting bigger, you know? Um, and like, like, I think two years yeah. ago, I did some work for RTE and this seemed like just the most amazing thing in the world that I'd been asked to do this work for RTE. And this year, you know, they were asking me to do work and I was turning them down because I was too busy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> saying, oh no, look, sorry, I just yeah. can't, I'm doing my own thing, you know, <laughs> and I was thinking, it's hilarious, it's, it's hilarious to, to me, you yeah. know, and that to me is part of the getting bigger. It's the... It's the things that were huge to me back then are no longer big to me. I have done them now that I grew that bigger. I got comfortable with that. I'm moving on to the next thing. Uh, um, and I, yeah. I don't want it to be a huge jump in one, uh, in one year. You know, I'm enjoying the incremental process of each year being a bit better than the year before. It's fun. It's, it, it's joyful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, the the positivity that kind of radiates off you. Um, I I understand why people talk about you being a joy bringer. Even just talking to you now, I can feel that despite all the different things yeah, you've had to come I up against. I think like you know, resilience um, is a and, is a thing that I'm lucky yeah. that I think I'm a very lucky person because mm -hmm. um I had to be resilient from a young age. Uh, 
and I, um, yeah. and, but my, you know, my ways that I did that weren't always good or weren't always healthy, but through my life, I have, um, you know, I've, I've tried actively and consciously tried to keep being a better person and, um, to live by my values. So I have, I know what my values are. I know what's important to me and I try and live by those values as much as I possibly can. And, and when I don't, I feel really bad about it. And then I feel if I have to make amends about something that I've done, I said, but I so rarely do that anymore. I very rarely do things these days that, are, that make me, you know, think, oh shit, why did you do that? Um, you know, because yeah. I tend to, you know, not that I'm living some impeccable life or never doing anything bad, you know, but, but I, those type of things where, you know, you do something and you just feel sick about it. You think, oh my God, I feel sick. I've done the wrong thing and I've hurt this person or something. Yeah. Like I really don't, I haven't had those feelings for a while now, for probably two or three years. Um, so that, that's good. That tells yeah. me, I think that I'm, I am kind of getting in a place where I'm more living from my values, which is kind of my goal is to like live from that place as much as I possibly can um, and act, choose consciously to live from those values, not acting unconsciously or just responding to things, uh, you know, because I'm, a, it, it's, it's pushed a button for me or something like that. So like to stop and think and think to myself, yeah. how do I want to respond to this situation in a way that's aligned with my values? Because my values are the kind of person that I want to be in this world. Um, and so I, I don't mm -hmm. want to have, um, I don't want to cause any more harm in the world because there's enough people doing that. You know, I want to be part of the, I want to be part of the cohort that yeah. are, are trying to kind of unify and trying to uplift and trying to move humanity forward into, into nicer, more empathic, more loving places. And is that what is that what drives you primarily to, to do a good in the world um to, that keeps you going yeah i guess so i don't know I, I i'm like a person who's not very good at doing nothing you know so like when i when you know years ago when we had a tv when i was a teenager i used to always i took up knitting because i couldn't stand watching tv it felt like a waste of time mm -hmm. so i was like right i'll knit and then i'll be knitting and watching so i'm a like I'm, I'm somebody who's really, really bad at, at not doing things. And I'm, I'm have to be like doing heaps of different things at once, which is, you know, which, uh, <laughs> you might. I feel that. I feel that. Yeah. I'm kind of getting a bit better at sort of, uh, saying no to people or saying to people, I need some time to think about that because I need to figure out if I'm going to be able to fit that into my life. Mm -hmm. Um, because I just want to say yes to everything because I want to help everybody that asks me, you know. Um, yeah. So I, uh, or, you know, I want to help most people that ask me, I should say, because I actually don't want to help everybody that asks me because, <laughs> because uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, you do have to be discerning. And this is like, I, I've got, I've got to, this is slightly off, off track, but I think it's all linked in. Um, I have like two kind of key things that I, that I live by. And one of them is mm -hmm. um, my kind of life's motto, which is what's the best possible thing that I can do, have, be, 
uh, place I can go or person I can hang out with right now in this moment with the resources available to me. So um, that's a question that I ask myself and I think to myself, well, what is the exact best thing? Like I always want to have the best thing that I, or the best yeah. experience or go the best place or whatever that I can possibly have in this moment with the resources I have. And um, so that, that life motto has kind of brought a lot of good things into my life, you know, and, and you know, allowed for a lot of great yeah. stuff. And so I'm always kind of on the look for like, well, what's the best possible thing I can possibly get out of this moment um uh, because i i am like i really love like good food and nice places and you know i love i love the kind of finer things in life but i've never really had the sort of budget to to you know do that <laughs> but i still kind of manage to do it because i'll be like okay i you know, I want to go away for a night um, at some point in the next couple of months. I've got like a hundred euros and I can go away somewhere. And then I'll just, I'll just troll the internet until yeah. I find this like an amazing, you know, you can stay on an upgrade in a castle in the middle of nowhere with a glass of champagne and, and a two course dinner for, you know, 80 euros or something, you know, I will find the thing, you know, cause I'll be like, well, what's the best yeah. thing that I can possibly get? And I will, I will keep going until I find that best thing. So um, that's kind of, that's one of my mottos. And then the other one is around discernment. So I try and be really as discerning mm -hmm. as I possibly can be. Um, and that's, that's another thing that I think is a, is, is a really important thing that I try and kind of talk to my kids a bit about as well, about being discerning, about, what you spend your time on and who you spend time with and um you know what's yeah what's important to you and kind of that's part of living by your values as well is kind of being discerning about what you choose to spend your time on um and it's the same kind of thing really with with your thoughts like what being discerning about what i want to give my my brain thoughts to you know my thinking time to um yeah. And what will kind of, what's something that's going to nurture me and fill me up rather than thoughts that kind of detract. Yeah. That's, that's a brilliant way of looking at things actually, because it's, again, I'll, I'll say, you know, people could probably take away from that. I can certainly take away from that, that there is a tendency to kind of, I don't know, I think it's almost like a, a lopsided confirmation bias for people who think negatively that they'll find ways to reinforce that negativity because they they find it hard to think positively. Um, and I need to be more boundaried and discerning with the thoughts that I spend time on and dwell on. Um, and it can be a real challenge, but um, I, th I think you've, you've put it really, really yeah. well there, Taryn. It's a yeah, bit, I, I, yeah, it's a bit of a thing, thing. though. It's not really, like, I'm not advocating for positive thinking. Um because, you know, that's a whole other animal, really. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, and so it's not yeah. so much that I I do positive thinking. But if I start to find myself thinking stuff and it's kind of I'm getting into like a fear spiral or a worry spiral or something, um, yes. then I, I, yeah. I try and remember my critical thinking. So I say, okay, this thing that I'm worrying about, is it is my spending time worrying about it? going to impact 
on the outcome yes or no <laughs> you know? and then um, I'm like mm-hmm. you know and then because there's like always two voices in my yeah. head I don't know how other people's heads work but I have two and so one of them's like okay is this going to be helpful you know and then the other one's like rolling eyes you know no <laughs> you know? and then and then the other voice is kind of yeah, like okay yeah. <laughs> so what about if you know we instead uh chose to think about some things that might be helpful or useful or even just be able to take your mind off this for a while even if it's just like let's listen to a podcast let's yeah. start reading a book um or you know let's do that work that you need to get done you know what's a shitty job you've been putting off uh let's do that Mm -hmm. um whatever it is so i try and kind of critically think my way out of um the worry space and the other thing that i tell myself over and over it's a bit of a mantra for me is um things in your life always work out better than uh, you ever could have imagined and it is it is a bit of a a bit of a slight yeah. on the border of a positive thinking thing, but it it actually is one of those things that I can say is quite true. Um, a lot of stuff that I have worried about in the past yeah. has actually ended up turning it turning out to be a real blessing. Uh, even some of the things that were awful um, have have turned out to be things that I have turned around into something really good. Um, or I've yeah. made it kind of, I've, I've turned it into something that was helpful, if not to me, then helpful to other people. Um, and so I, I can, I can twist things for myself in that way and reframe things in that way and say, okay, yeah, this is true. Actually things in your life, um, you know, do tend to, to turn out being better than you ever could have imagined. Um, so, I mean, that's a, that's a thing that I say that works for me. But it, everybody has to work out their own processes. I think work out what's gonna what's gonna work for them, yeah. and uh, and how to get through that stuff. And and all our brains are different. And I'm really really lucky. I think because I just naturally have quite a kind of positive disposition and quite a kind of you know a joyful kind of a vibe. Um, and I I think that that's just actual yeah. luck to be honest with you. I don't even, I don't even know like, you know, why I am this way or how I got this way. Um, I, I, so I, I just, I'm so lucky that I can turn most things around fairly quickly. Um, but like everybody, you know, I have those same moments and I have those terrible things and stuff and it's just, how do you deal with them in that moment? So it doesn't become overwhelming and it doesn't take over. And um, so they're the kind of strategies that I, yeah. I would use. Well, I think you said you talk about being lucky. I think we're all very lucky to have you um, as part of our, you know, activist family um, and fighting the good fight um, in Ireland. And, oh, you know, you. we're richer for having you with us. Um, and and no problem. And Taryn, I just want to say thank you so much for, for coming on to talk to me today. Um <laughs> You've given me a lot to think about <laughs> um, in a really positive way as well. And I hope people out there listening um, can take something away from that as well. Um, I, if you're okay, sure. I think we'll leave it there for tonight and um, or this afternoon. And um, yeah, if you're up for it, I would love to have you back on again. Um, about stuff. Um, thank you so much. And what is your plans for the rest oh, of this well, left gonna, of Sunday evening? Um heat up some mulled wine and i spent all of all of 
yesterday making uh, my gingerbread biscuits, Ooh. which are the nicest gingerbread biscuits like I've ever eaten. Because again, you know, discernment. I'm oh very discerning, God. so I'll only make the nicest of the nice. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to eat some that gingerbread biscuits excellent. that I made yesterday. <laughs> and I, I also have amazing gingerbread cake that um, uh, from the New York Times, they ha had this amazing <laughs> recipe a few years ago for Christmas and I've been making it ever since and it's incredible. So I also have gingerbread cake and I'm going to eat those have a bit of mulled wine and um, maybe watch a movie or something with my kids. That sounds <laughs> delightful. That sounds like bliss. So, well, I, I hope you and your family are all safe and well throughout everything and, uh, you know, keep looking after yourselves and looking after one another. Um, Taryn, thank you again so much thank for this. It's you. been a real pleasure and an honour to talk to you today. Um, yeah, thanks and I, I sincerely hope we get to do so again soon. Not a problem, no problem okay, at all. Anytime. Bye. Thanks so much, Taryn. Look after yourself. I'll speak to you again.